Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 67, all about the Mew editor. My name is Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster-Paredes, and I am a teacher that codes. I can't stop laughing. I'm really sorry I have to say well, Why are you giggling, Kelly? What could possibly be causing that? Because we have one of the very first person, people, persons that we met at PyCon. And when we first met him, we thought we met like the Beatles or someone super, super all-time famous. And we were just... God smacked, and it's Nicholas Tolervey. Do I always pronounce that correctly, Tolervey? I don't know. You just broke up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, welcome to the show. We're really glad to have you here, and we're kicking off a whole new series that we're launching all about different editors for coding Python, but more importantly, for teaching Python. So this whole series is not just about the things you might hear about, like, oh, VS Code is great for this, or PyCharm is great for that, or you can use idle for getting started, we want to talk about how you use these editors for teaching and learning. And that's why we're so excited to have Nick on the line with us, because who better to talk about Mew, the origins of it, where it is, where it's going, and then how it fits into the broader ecosystem of education within Python than our good friend Nick. So welcome, Nick. We're super happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm really excited to be here. Your podcast is legendary, honestly. It's brilliant i'm listening to it all <laughs> it was just funny because i remember the exact moment like you sat next to me and i turned around and i was like do you know who that was <laughs> and he was like yeah <laughs> at pycon and we were just it was just a, a great time and a great memory and something we hold dear to our hearts and every time we open up and download the Mew editor, and I go, Mew, because he wants me to sound like a cow. I always tell them about how we met you, and the kids are impressed that I know the person who started off this editor. So and thank I, you for I dare, joining. I dare say I don't think we would have made it through that first year of teaching Python if it wasn't for the Mew editor, because <laughs> <laughs> we were we needed every bit of help we could get, and it was a huge help. So thank you for that. Uh, you broke up there, but I think this is where I say thank you. <laughs> you <say> nice things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we start off then, same place we always do with the win of the week. And so, Nick, we'll make you go first. The win of the week is something good that's happened inside or outside of the classroom this week. Okay, so for me, surprisingly, it's inside the classroom. I'm actually a professional software developer now. I used to be a secondary school teacher in, in the UK. So I've sort of transitioned from one side of the wall to the other, as it were. But I found myself teaching this week. I'm currently doing some work for the UK government, the Ministry of Justice. And what I do is run, is well, me and my colleagues, it's not just me, we run the, the data platform. So government runs on data, anything to do with the Justice Department in the UK. So the courts, prisons, police, you name it. There's like terabytes of data that, that we, we handle. And this is all done by my colleagues, the analysts. And it was to a group of about 60 analysts that I was telling them all about Python because they currently use a language called R and they're all very interested in learning Python. So I spent about an hour talking about Python and I was the captive Python developer in the room and they could ask me lots of technical questions and things. And it was really good fun to actually be teaching. I love the pedagogy, the, the skill of teaching, the presence of being a teacher. And what was really funny, what made my day was one of my colleagues, Tom, 
said to me afterwards, he said, you could tell you were a teacher in a previous life because you come across as very teacherish when you're, <laughs> you're presenting. So I thought, all oh, right, oh, that's okay. I've not lost it. <laughs> that's excellent. I think once a teacher, always a teacher. It's always in you and you're always trying to educate even when people don't want to be educated. It's kind of my downfall. That's all I do in life is like, did you know? <laughs> so. I couldn't agree more. couldn't agree more. <laughs> All right, Kelly, over to you. For me, well, I'm going to tell my story of a win that did not happen in the classroom and did not happen because of Python, but kind of goes back in line with my design teaching days. My sons have a fort that we help them build. And at first we did all the cutting and the building. And over the four years that we've had this fort, it has been painted because I've allowed them to paint. They've unscrewed things. They've tied stuff on. We've done some editing to it, as you say, or refactoring of it. And then the other day, we had a whole bunch of wood down from an old roof part, and it was laying on the ground. And the kids were like, can we please just use this to build? And I said, no, I don't want to. No, don't worry, Mommy, we got this. And my 10-year-old and my 7-year-old, with me just holding up so no one got an eye lost or a foot banged on or a finger cut off, they built another little platform off of their fort and they are addicted and now they wanted to add like a roof and it's it's insane. So they are little doers, little makers, and it's making me so happy that they just love to, they'd rather choose to be outside than behind the computer coding all the time like mommy. <laughs> so it was a good win this week. That's a wonderful activity. Like that is the the best thing you can do to foster creativity, imagination, problem solving. Here's some wood. I'll help you make it safe, but not maybe not too safe, right? <laughs> yeah. As long as they don't fall. <laughs> yeah, there's always a danger in learning though, isn't there? You're taking a risk. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's Maybe important. not losing an eye risk, hopefully, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like... <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a it's a managed risk, especially in the classroom. That's exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, we don't want to lose any fingers. My son just started playing the, the trumpet, so we at least need those three fingers there. <laughs> Good Fair you. point. Fair point. Well, my win this week was a little bit borrowed. I actually snatched it away from Kelly. I was covering her class today. She had to leave for a reason. And I was covering her class, and there was this sixth grade student who was working in Python Turtle. And she was very excited and very interested in getting a background image onto her turtle screen. So she was exploring the documentation. She was trying to understand how the method works, the whole thing. And she couldn't get it to work. She's like, I can't do this. It's it's using a JPEG. I'm like, well, let's go look at the documentation. Oh, look, it says you need a GIF. So she finds a GIF of SpongeBob. She downloads it, copies it over, gets her file name right. And when she hit run and SpongeBob appeared, there was this audible gasp, like, <gasps> like she was so excited. And, and I said, wait, wait, stop R right there. Like, okay, that feeling right there, that is why I code, right? That moment where it's like, it worked and it's amazing. And it did this thing. And I said, everything else is just details, right? Like, that's the reason why we make this stuff because the joy that you get of having something working that you've worked so hard to understand and implement is everything. And I told her about how I was trying to instrument a fast API container. And and when I first saw the tracing metrics and everything show up at the screen, I did the same thing. 
<laughs> it works. <laughs> you know? So I said it never gets old. You just change what triggers it. Oh, absolutely. And that's just such a great thing for this girl. She's one of those kids that likes to just do things, get it done, get the grade completed. And she's been getting everything coded and she does the basics really well. But she was not the one that was pushing. And when I left her... I was like, where's the documentation? Read that documentation. Command F, find get screen. I'm out of here. <laughs> and you're like, just leave it. And so I love that she had that moment. I'm sad that I missed it. But now I'm going to be seeing SpongeBob everywhere, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things I just want to point out that I'm really impressed that she went and read the documentation and she went and did the research because fostering that sense of autonomy and, well, we were talking about being brave and being put in a dangerous situation, but it takes a bit of guts to go out and, and research this sort of stuff. You're obviously doing something right, because I have to admit, 90% of my day is just Googling stuff and <laughs> trying to figure out why, the, why it doesn't work, really. And then I have those moments, just like your student, where you're kind of chair bopping and going, woohoo, all on your own with a laptop. <laughs> I think it's because I finally learned how to read documentation. <laughs> so now I can finally teach it. Yeah. I've been really teaching strings and objects and method. I finally, this year after teaching it, I was like, oh my God, that's a string. That's a method. That's a, that's a list. That's a method. Oh my God, here's the documentation. That's a method. And Sean yeah. goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> teaching it and then finally getting it. So I think I've got a better way of teaching it to kids. So we do use good documentation that's easy to read. And the, the Python 3.9 documentation is spot on. It's good. So they enjoy that. Yeah. And it was funny, though, because it's like these things all go together. My fail of the week happened like the next class period, maybe half an hour later. And the fail was that I was teaching. And so we were doing this class coding challenge where in lieu of a quiz or an exam or multiple choice, we give them a problem, like write some code that will do this and they have to figure it out. And there's no one way to do it. They could solve it in a variety of ways. And my fail was that I let them ask me too many questions because this is the one thing that I want them to do where they just have to kind of struggle their way through and apply what they've known learned and and look to their resources and once i started answering their questions i had kids like queuing up to talk to me and and everything and i just i was like wait a minute wait a minute we've done this wrong go back figure it out if you don't get it it's going to be okay it's just code like no one's going to die the sun will rise tomorrow it's okay but it took me a solid five to ten minutes to realize the trap that i dug for myself and then 30 seconds to get back out of it again yeah yeah I'm trying to think of my fail this week. I don't know. Do you have a fail this week, Nick? We like to do yes. fails. <laughs> I have a fail of the day, if not hour. <laughs> the work that I do, again, going back to my work work, we have we've, we have a piece of software that we're trying to deploy. The, the latest version of this, this thing that our analyst friends, our analyst colleagues use. And we've been trying to update this thing for two months. And my team is a very strong technical team. I wouldn't hesitate to recommend any of them to anybody for for work. They're, they are outstanding engineers, all of them. And yet it feels like we're all cavemen again. We just bang the rocks together, chaps. It might work if you tried switching it off and on again. It's, it, it's that sort of level of stuff. And I think it doesn't matter how experienced. It, it's, it's very humbling, 
really, because the computer's part of my friend. It's going to bite you in the bum eventually. And, and that's what's been happening this week is that we've not been able to get this thing deployed. It, it's a bit frustrating, but we're working together on it, which is an important point with the sort of Hollywood hacker solitary coder with a hoodie in a dark room is just it doesn't exist all of my working life as a coder has been collaborating with people with working with people and so we're working as a team so in that sense it's not a fail we've just not been able to deliver what we're paid to do yet so <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there well we'll have to send you one of the mugs that kelly made it's like the power of yet right like you just add yet onto that like you, like you did <laughs> and you will get there like it just may not be tomorrow or the day after but you will get there yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i think i had like a little bit of a personal fail but i i guess kind of skipped over it to avoid failure so i guess that's a my fail i was looking at the dictionaries again and we were i was trying to recreate a new dictionary for class schedule and i started to think about it and my mind bl went blank and i was like guess what kids we're not we're gonna do dictionaries right now it's too much stuff we're just gonna code it tomorrow <laughs> so sean gets to do dictionaries with seventh grade tomorrow <laughs> because i'm not gonna be there tomorrow either <laughs> <laughs> No, but I I opened up the I, I don't know what happened. I opened up the code and my mind went blank and I was like, oh my God, what how oh yeah, and I couldn't remember the pluses and instead of going to Google it, I was just like, Yeah, I just don't want to research right now. My mind's not ready for coding. <laughs> so a big fail. I didn't try. And I didn't even I didn't even do it and that and I know it came back to me and Eric's probably gonna be cursing in his kitchen right now because he's like, I talked to you about all the dictionaries. <laughs> But hey, it's okay. We all have our, our, I tell them I had like a brain, a brain fart and I couldn't think. So we're done. <laughs> but oh, well, we move on. You'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. Yeah. So let's just jump right in with the, the main topic and talk a little bit about the Mew editor. And Nick, I think this would be a great chance to talk a little bit about your background because it seems like it's a pretty big factor in how you decided to come up with this concept and, and how to write it. So let's just start in. When did you have this vision or when did you think about like, I need to create something new for editing and for teaching Python? Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. So the short answer is one rainy Sunday afternoon in a December weekend. And I foolishly asked myself, how hard can it be? And so by the end of the afternoon, maybe two or three hours, I had a single file of Python, but that file contained the kernel of Mew. You had maybe, there are several buttons across the top now, but there might have been only three or four in that first version. It was a very simple editor. You could perhaps load, save, create a new file, run the file, and that was, and quit, sorry. Yes, so there was five... <laughs> Five so you buttons. gave everyone an exit, at least. They could yes, get out. Exactly. <laughs> well, famously, editors are difficult to get out of. There's an editor called <laughs> VI that is just impossible to get out of if you don't know the magic incantation to get you out. And the reason I asked myself that question is because I was working as a volunteer for the Python Software Foundation. So I obviously wasn't working. I was contributing my time and effort to the PSF, working with other technical folk in the UK for the BBC Microbit. The PSF was a partner in that project, and the initial Python editor was browser-based, and being a conscientious engineer, one of the things that I did is I took out the code that I'd written for the browser-based editor. I took that out to teachers 
kind of user group, technical teachers would get together in the local area and hang out and moan, really. Let's be honest, we're all teachers here. Moan about what was going on in the classroom and blah, blah, blah. And I would turn up and I would present what we were doing and I would want feedback and I would get them to play with micro bits, which were very rare. It hadn't been released. So I would turn up with six or seven of them and they all wanted to have a go and see what was coming and things. And it became clear that the browser just wasn't the ideal way of interacting with the micro bit because you have to A, type your code, B, download it. That's now somewhere hidden in your home directory and you've got to try and ferret around and figure out where that is. Then you've got to drag it onto the micro bit. <sighs> then you get syntax error line three. So you have to go all the way back and do the thing. And what I found, and this is actually, I forgot a button. One of the other buttons, it wasn't run, it was flash. And so what it would do, it would do that whole process of the equivalent of download from the browser, put it in the file system, copy it over onto the micro bit, do the thing and so on. So that sped things up very quickly for teachers. Now, I was a secondary head of music in the UK and I used to have to set up, as I'm sure you folks do, my classroom and pretty much at least once a day, a class would be turned into turmoil because something has gone wrong. A kid's fallen off their chair. The beaters have all been spilled on the floor. The piano's gone clonk and it's out of tune or there's a power cut or something. And there's only just a little bit of disruption and you've lost the attention of the kids. So my aim with that, with new, was to throw away all the potential hazards or bumps in the road that would stop them from engaging with the kind of write some code, watch it work, write some code, watch it work, write some code, watch it. not write some code, download the thing. Now, where's that folder? It's, oh, no, I can't find it, sir. Sir, I can't find my, you know, okay, so there you go. You've, you've lost them. They've got out of the flow. So that's how Mew started. And that Sunday afternoon hack kind of took off, really, in a rather unexpected fashion. And we got some feedback. Uh, folks from the Raspberry Pi Foundation gave feedback as well. Carrie Ann was exceptionally helpful with that. And we had some quick wins, I think. So, for instance, <laughs> we put Zoom buttons on. This is like the next two buttons. <laughs> and for me, Zooming in and out is just, I don't know, I don't do that. But for a teacher... And now I think about it, you think, of course, it's obvious for a teacher. A teacher wants to be able to make their code seen at the back of the classroom. I want to zoom in. And when I remember showing that to a group of teachers for the first time. They all went, oh, how did you do that? And it's like three lines of code and it's simple. But for them, it, it made a huge difference. And so that's what led to the, well, if we engage with teachers and we engage with learners, then we can get some really useful feedback. Our We're very upfront at saying that Mew is a beginner's editor. And if you're technical enough to ask us questions like, could you explain how the... I'm trying to think of a technical question now. It's <laughs> half past eight in the evening at the UK and my brain's just gone. Through. Could you explain how, how Mew parses the abstract syntax tree so it knows what to suggest or blah, 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 blah. If you're asking that sort of question, you shouldn't be using Mew. We see Mew very much as an American friend said, it, it, it's like training wheels. You're learning to ride a bike, but you need some help to get there. It, for me, it feels like the toddler stage in child development. The babies, they don't move. And then you've got like two or three year olds who can run around and they're exploring their world. But there's that toddler, st there's that toddler stage where they're pulling themselves up. They're having a look around. They're taking their first steps and falling over, but they pick themselves up. And that's what Mew is. It's the toddling stage. And then you should move on to... Visual Studio Code or whatever 
sort of professional, proper editor. That's what Sean keeps telling me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but, you know, there's also a certain amount of pragmatism to it, right? As long as it works, right? Yeah. As long as you're able to effectively communicate what you're trying to do. And so we'll use Mew all the time on screen and in the classroom and everything because it's a very simple and clear way to communicate ideas through code. And 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 that works really well. Yeah, and it's clean interface. I think... Yeah, that, I think this for for me, when I want to just jump in and quickly show, I either go to Colab or Mew, and it's just this really quick, clean interface that I can just flash up on the, the whiteboard or wherever, and it's it's so easy. It's not intimidating. Kids open it up, and they're not freaked out. When I show them yeah. <laughs> another editor that I love, I loved, I used PyCharm, I used Visual Studio Code, but when I first show a sixth grader those two in the first days... They're like, what? And code? <laughs> yes. Yes. We spend a lot of time thinking about Mew as a pedagogical tool. It is a presentation tool. <laughs> this is why we right. have the Zoom button and why we have the themes as well. We can talk about that maybe in a little while. But at the back of our mind it is that. I felt that being a teacher, my collaborators, there's about six or seven of us who are enthusiastic enough to, to keep contributing and they're they're all involved in code clubs or they were teachers or they are currently teaching or they're working in the education sector in some other technical sense so they've all got some vested interest in this but yeah Mew is it's your friendly first steps into coding really that's what we want to try and make it for, for folks. Sean's probably going to yell at me because I'm probably skipping somewhere in the questions but I also think though that the progress that you've been making has become more advanced now. Now it's meeting more of our needs and even our, some of our eighth graders and Sean, Sean's like, whatever you want to code in, but they're like, can we just download Mew again? <laughs> because now you have the third party library feature. And I know in the past we were having issues with that when I first started coding, I think. And now we have that. So it's just, it's been growing with my teaching needs. So it's been my comfort blanket along the way. To tell us where, where, where does, would you like you're the pedagogical experts i was a music teacher now in a lot of ways that's an advantage but in other ways i don't know what the current best practice or the current bumps in the road are for teaching coding so we uh, absolutely want folks who know about this to, to tell us what's going on and we can change that and we we're delighted to do that and we love getting bug reports that are clear and tell us how to recreate the problem so yeah Keep giving us bugs. It'll, it'll, it can only <laughs> but improve Mew. It's an evolutionary thing. Well, and I think one of the things that's really nice, and this gets into one of our questions about how it's developed, I mean, because it's open source and because there is that encouragement to contribute, it was a really cool moment in the classroom when I had a student who's like, hey, this thing isn't working right. And I said, yeah, I th- and actually, I do think I know why that is. And so I'm going to go submit a bug report for that right now. And we submitted the bug report together. And I pointed out, here's where I think it is. And then I think later on, I even spent a little bit of time and kind of figured out a solution for it and then was able to share that with the students. So the student not only saw that this is a a program that was not perfect, right? They see that their own code doesn't have to be perfect. But they also saw that, like, wait a minute, this is something that I could potentially do a bug report on, that it's not just something that you go to a faceless corporation. It's something that they could affect. And I thought that was a really great lesson about how open source software can work as well for the students because they don't necessarily think about how their software is made. Yeah, this is a culture thing as well. I don't know about you, but I want to encourage people to feel empowered 
with the technology that they use. I feel emancipated even in, in some sense, because in a lot of ways you get your mobile phone and it's not really your mobile phone. It's, it's the company's mobile phone because they're the ones installing software and only Apple are allowing certain products on the platform and things like that. And it's understandable why they do that. But with open source, your student has been able to see, well, I can change this. That's a real, it's like the young lady in the previous example that you gave, if she had that kind of, whoo, it works, SpongeBob appears. It's that feeling of I can, I can affect a change here and you are free to contribute and we will listen and we'll fold this in. And we've got code, oh, they're a bit older now, but you know, 11 year olds have contributed to Mew. I think Josh Lowe, EduBlogs, you mm-hmm. know, Josh, he, he's, awesome but he he does this thing called portamoo because it rhymes like portaloo you know <laughs> which is mew that stands alone you could just put it on a thumb thumb drive and he takes it to his library or whatever when he was at school because the school network admins wouldn't allow you know wouldn't install mew so he would just take it around he he did that and we we have that as part of our downloads and he's he's still doing that now that he's he's left school and he's he's actually now a professional software developer. So it's because of these experiences that he he's well, someone like Josh is just going <laughs> to sort of fly anyway because he's so brilliant. But I'd like to think that it's because he had those experiences, those positive experiences of being able to contribute and see that his contributions were taken seriously, and they were folded back in, and then the next version comes out, and that little thing that used to be blue, well now it's green. That was that was my my change there you've got a right. sense of pride i've contributed to something to it and and i feel that and that's a and that's a deliberate choice right i mean that's a choice of the team to say we are going to open our doors to to new improvements and and everything and so i think that's also the metaphor for the teaching that we all do in our classroom too is that if you close them off and say no you can't do that or no you can't do that or yeah i hear what you're saying blue button great but no we're not going to do that right if you yeah. shut them down every door closes off. And someone like Josh, the fact that he had the opportunity with those open doors to be able to contribute certainly helped him along the way. And that's huge. I just, I always do this in all the podcasts and this is why I carry around a book when we have podcasts, but I just thought of a new lesson plan. (laughs) So, and you might get a whole bunch of unrelated, not really helpful GitHub requests. I'm sorry, better warn your team. But that's one of the things for the newbies. So I I emailed you when I was, and I told you, oh, well, I just submitted a horrible log report because I forgot to put the log, even though the warning says, please put the log. (laughs) And some nice person was like, can you insert the log? And like, oh, yes, I forgot it was supposed to do that. But that's getting, I have never written a log. I've never put anything into GitHub. I tried to do it at PyCon and they tried to help me. And But it's so scary as a new new coder, you just don't do those things because that's public. But, <laughs> so but being able to teach kids or something, here's how you do it, could be a good lesson. But Kelly, I know exactly how that feels because I didn't, become a software developer until I was what, well 30 because I spent my 20s as a teacher and because I'm a late bloomer at this I know what it feels like to feel slightly intimidated by this tech sort of situation you don't want to make a fool of yourself it's like turning up to school band for the first time and all the big kids seem to know how to play the clarinet and you're stuck on like 99th clarinet honking just two notes but you know, after a while you pick it up and this is why it's important to be encouraging and welcoming and so people see that it's a bit of fun and like you said, Sean, it's what's the worst that can happen? It's not like you're gonna sort of launch nuclear missiles or photon torpedoes. Your thing's gonna go 
Boink, and then you'll get an error message and you can google that and you'll improve it and and essentially that's what i do all day really as a professional developer it's, it's just a slightly perhaps more higher level version of that process it's broken i'd better look up how to fix it <laughs> yeah. well and and for the record nick i was 38th chair baritone ah, not 99th oh, okay, chair okay, clarinet okay. so a baritone player, i see i'm a tuba oh, yeah. player you see so uh... Uh, see i was i was a flutist oh, so right, you okay. know <laughs> Flautists, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be in the horn section. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Grass> <laughs> That's why I quit band. <laughs> yeah. It was probably people like me and Sean who put you off. <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't on the list, but you had a new new update just recently. Yeah. The beta B4. Yeah. Okay. Right? So the B is for beta. And... <laughs> We're doing a beta release every two weeks. So how do I describe this? In an academic year, there are various sorts of points in an academic year. So we're Northern Hemisphere. So, I mean, in the UK, we start September. Okay. First term is always moving towards Christmas, that sort of promised land, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And for me as a music teacher, there was like Christmas productions, carols, until I'm so fed up with carols, I never want to hear one again, and so on and so forth. And then January is preparing kids for exams and then summer term is when we have exams and then everybody goes a bit silly and does school trips and stuff. So there's a particular sort of cadence in the academic year. It's the same for software projects and it depends where are you in the kind of the, the life cycle of the software project it tells you what you're doing. And where we are is, I don't know, it feels a bit like the exam season. We're preparing, we're preparing, and we're going to be releasing, do a, a final release sometime soon. So we're doing the equivalent of revising. And what that is, is providing betas. And betas are incomplete versions of Mu. They're still good versions. They, they, they might have bugs, but we're polishing, if you see what I mean. That's what a beta version is. And so we're releasing every fortnight now a new version until we get to 1.1 final when we've fixed as many bugs as we can find we've crossed all the i's and dotted all the t's or done it the other way around whatever it's supposed to be and we've updated the documentation all our translators because we've got you know mu is used in china africa south america india everywhere and so it's been translated to the different locales as well i have the cutest video of some chinese school children who had been wrote taught how to say in English, thank you, Nicholas, we love using Mew, at me in their sort of Chinese school uniforms from their school teacher. And so that's another part of the beta releases that we will maybe finish the user interface changes. And then the next beta release after that will be, let's fold in the new translations, okay? Because now that the user interface is solid, we can start to tell people to change to translate the buttons and things because we're not going to change them anymore. So it's all part of that process. Then we release it and then we'll all be a bit silly for the end of the summer term. And then it'll start again in September where we sit down and go, OK, so what what are our goals? You know, what's this this year's year 11? I'm speaking in British. You've got grades. We have years. In, grade, grade 10. 10 yeah. <laughs> yeah. In year 11, you do your GCSEs, which is like you're graduating from high school sort of thing equivalent what's what's that year like who've we got to concentrate on who needs the help who's going to fly that sort of stuff so we do the equivalent sort of thing what features do people want what features do we want to see in because a part of this is 
teachers need to tell us what they need, but we're software developers. All of us who develop Mew, we're professional software developers. So we know what we think teachers need as well. It's a bit like when you first learn to play a violin, you're told to hold it like that. And you go, oh, that's really uncomfortable. Why on earth should I? Well, okay. After a few years, you realize why you hold it like that and you loosen up and things like that. And so this is why we want to give you a debugger that works in that particular way rather than this particular way is because when you graduate from Mew and you go to Visual Studio Code or PyCharm or whatever it might be, the debugger will work in that sort of a way that we've done our step up for you so that it's no longer this 747 flight deck of buttons and incoherent sort of messages. It, it looks familiar enough that it's a recognizable debugger. So yeah, that's a, that's another aspect of what we're up to. So yeah. So when you first came out, and I think we were we got in three years ago, so we were kind of in that 1.0 stage. Well, I think one thing that's important to note here is that Mew is a modal editor, so it has different modes that you can choose from based on what you're coding. And I think at the time we saw you know, Python 3, Pygame 0, Circuit Playground, and the Microbit. And since then, there's been a lot of new features and new modes added. Can you give everyone a little bit of an update on some of the new modes that are out there or some of the new features that maybe they have missed out on that are coming in this 1.1 yeah, milestone? Sure. So we have a web mode. So you can write very simple web applications. That's not finished yet. I'm working with some friends in a London-based company who you should be at the click of a button. Mew should be able to parcel up your web app, send it to their servers, give you a URL so that you get the, hey, grandma, I'm on the internet type moment. So that's that's coming. We've done a lot of work on the microbit mode. Carlos, one of my fellow volunteers, works for the Microbit Foundation. And of course, they have a version two coming out, which has changed an awful lot of things. So he's done, it's all under the hood sort of stuff. What else? So I'm trying not to be very, very technical here. That's okay. Sean likes the technical. Okay. It's okay. So That's how a, we grow. A, yeah, okay. Go for so, it. <laughs> okay. So there's a, there's a set of chips called ESP8266 and ESP32. These are, in fact, I've got one next to me. These are very... Sean's got like 40 of them. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. I've got a feather yeah, version yeah, of yeah. it here. You could get them for a dollar for a big box of them, a dollar each sort of thing. The important thing about those chips is that they have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. So all of a sudden, MicroPython that runs on these chips can talk to the internet and you can make your weather station or take silly photos of your cat coming through the cat flap or, or all of that sort of stuff. And another volunteer from you, Martin, he works at a university in Denmark and he uses the ESP chips with his students and so he's created a new mode, especially for ESP chips, so that you buy a particular part from this thing, plug it all together. His students make that thing in the first term, and that's how they're introduced to his his sort of design and technology sort of degree. He's That's his part of it. So he's made a lot of changes there. A whole bunch of bug fixes, million and one bug fixes. One of the most requested features about the shortcomings in version one was that people couldn't download packages from PyPI and pip install this, that, and the other. So we have that feature now. I wrote a really terrible version to make it work because you know what they say about software? Make it work, then make it work properly, and then make it work efficiently if you need to. So I made it work, and then Tim, yet another volunteer, he rewrote it and did it properly. Tim, he's a Python core developer. That's, he's very good at this. And he's also, he he runs a, a kind of a kids coding club 
as well. So education is something he's very passionate about. So he's he's done amazing work on that. That is very, very difficult technical work that he's done. And talking of difficult technical work, you'd be surprised how awful it is to try and package things such that a beginner can be told, just download Mew. Okay, now click the install button and it works. <laughs> Getting to that is like Atlas holding up you know, the heavens or trying to launch a Saturn V. And Tiago, who is based in Portugal, has essentially automated all of those very painful steps. I would rather stick forks in my eyes or rub my nose up and down a cheese grater than have to package Mew because it is so painful and so intricate and so prone to error. But Tiago has done this amazing work so that I just need to issue one command and I get an installer 15 minutes later. That was the biggest, like, so first quarter, second quarter, I always go through and I and I always tell them, I'm like, okay, this is the one time I'm going to tell you to do exactly yeah. what I say. Don't talk to me if you have a PC. I don't want to talk to you. Just go do your thing. Go download it. But all you Mac people, just do what I say. And then third quarter, I we downloaded the new version. And I was like, huh didn't hit all the firewalls and we didn't have to it was just much so well done tiago i think i yeah. even tweeted at him and <laughs> well yeah the th- what tiago has managed to do because remember mu isn't just an editor well it is just an editor but it's an editor that comes with python it's the answer to the question you know what should i download if i want to learn python and the answer originally was well first of all you need to download python then you need to go to the command line. Then you need to pip install this thing. And then you download this other thing. Then you need to tell it to point to your virtual env that does this thing. And it might as well be written in hieroglyphics, these sorts of instructions for a beginner. The instructions that you really want is download the thing, install it. Now click on the friendly looking snake. And I hope you like our new splash screen. Hours have been spent on getting that <laughs> done. It's friendly and we want people to go, oh, this is going to be fun. So, with your positive vibes on the quotes every time I have to shut down Mew to open it again just so I can see another quote I showed Sean and I was like look okay. and he's like wait I'm like oh <laughs> okay so <laughs> but what I think was really phenomenal for us when we first started teaching and you touched on this briefly is that this is designed for people who have never written a line of code before And that's true both for the students and for the teachers. So if you're that teacher that is just trying to stay two steps ahead of the students to teach them, if it's your first time teaching it or you're learning it also, Mew is fantastic because you don't have to learn about setting up a virtual environment or trying to explain what that is or any of those things. It's let me download it, let me get it going, and then I can use this to start writing some code, showing some concepts, communicating and presenting these ideas, and the students can stay with you. You can all go together as this cohort learning together in a way that's pretty challenging, and then and then they can graduate. One of my favorite things I've been able to do this year in eighth grade is now we've gone beyond Mew, we've gone beyond Colab, the things where everything's all together, And now we can start to have the conversation about, okay, well, now here's where you would install a regular Python installation. Here's where you would install your own editor and the reasons why you would do that. Not just because it looks cool, right? Like, ooh, dark mode, right? It's because it helps you put your ideas into play better. It helps us talk about more advanced things. And that's where Mew fits really nicely. And it worked really well for Kelly and I 
was that as we were learning this and teaching it for the first time, we didn't have to worry about all the complexity of getting all those things done because you and your team have already handled that for us. You went through and figured out the pain of how do you get it to install on everything from a calculator <laughs> to a refrigerator yeah. and everything in between. Like, it's Tiago. It yes. works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've kind of forced that graduation on our kids because we know we, we try to push them through that spiral. But even during the class challenges, the ones where the kids are at the – it counts really hard against their grade, a whole one point or two. They sometimes go back to Mew, but we force them – we go – Mew in sixth grade, comfy, cozy, and very easy to manipulate to teaching some collab. And then Sean's got them investigating a lot more editors. And it's right. It's that comfort zone, but you have to push them sometimes out of their comfort zone just to see what they can do. Oh, absolutely. It's the same in music education. Wouldn't everybody be able to just be able to play the simple tunes that they know, but actually to become a good musician, you've got to practice the stuff you don't know. That's why you practice, and that's often painful. But after a while, you get to enjoy that sort of stuff. You get better at it. It's the same with coding. It's the same with coding. So speaking about going beyond, you've been up to quite a bit since we started, or since we last talked. You've been venturing into a lot of other spaces. Can you tell us a little bit about what's next or what complements Mew in the education space that you've been working on? Okay, so... <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm trying to work out how I get into this conversation because once I start, I won't stop. So just hold on to your hands. So as a, I'm inspired. Okay. I'll start with my wife, my amazing wife. I'm inspired by what she does. She's a music teacher and happily we have, I don't know, 600 years worth of music education to draw upon. And my music education, I went to a music conservatoire to finish my training. That's where I met Mary. She's a cellist and all this sort of stuff. I was using textbooks that were written 300 years ago. about How do you write a fugue? Well, read this book from 1697 or something like that. That will tell you. We, as technical teachers of technology, we've only been doing computers for 60 years, teaching perhaps since the 80s, which is kind of when I was at school, right? And so we haven't got that long arch of history where people can go you teach it like this and then there's going to be a revolution no you teach it like that and then you've got a counter-revolution and different ways of doing this sort of stuff and so I did what every good lazy engineer does and try to sort of ask myself well surely somebody's done this sort of stuff before and that's when I connected the dots between my experience as a music educator and what Mary is doing with her first access strings courses and things and what we do when we're trying to teach coding because they're very similar projects educational projects you can't learn to code in three months no matter what anybody else might say in the same way that you can't learn to play a musical instrument in three months i mean to some extent you can learn to play it you can play your three chords on the guitar after perhaps a couple of weeks but could you say you play it proficiently well no anybody who plays like that will go i'm not that good at the guitar i can only play these three chords but i'm enjoying myself as it were so i started looking into the world of music education to work out well how do music educators keep kids or any learner keep the wind in their sails because this is a complicated difficult fail often fail in a high stakes situation we've all been in school concerts and there's always been that kid who's fallen off the back of the stage or it played a wrong note or something like that how do you help these people get to where they want to be and 
the other thing that I noticed is that when it comes to documentation or learning resources online, there are two extremes. There's the stuff that perhaps the three of us might use in a classroom, which is all hello world, make the LED blink. Can the robot trundle forward, sense there's something in front of it and turn right and then trundle off and there's that sort of stuff. And then it stops. And then there's the stuff that I read all day, every day, which is Amazon's API documentation for how you do, I don't know, ingress control in a Kubernetes cluster or something like that. I'm not making that up. That is something I had to read today. But it, it might, I might as well be speaking Klingon, really. Okay. And this is highly technical stuff. And you wouldn't show that to a beginner. So we're two sides of a, a river. How do you ford that river? How do you help somebody get from blinking lights to pushing a website to an AWS cloud instance or something and knowing what that means. What's the equivalent in music? It's being able to play Three Blind Mice. It's as if all music education was either how to play Three Blind Mice on the piano and then Beethoven Piano Concerto, right? You've got to get from one to the other. And at some point, concert pianists were learning Three Blind Mice. So what did they do to get to where they are now? And so I've been asking myself this question. In the UK, we have a system called grading, really. You have it in martial arts. It's just the, the colours of your belt. So if you're a white belt, you're falling over your toes and you, you can't even kick yourself out of custard sort of thing. But when you're a black belt, you look like Bruce Lee. You're, you're sort of breaking concrete with your eyelids and you're taking on seven people at once and, and things like that. But there are belts in between my son does taekwondo, which is why I know about, about this sort of thing. It's the same with music. You start with grade one, which is three blind mice sort of level. After about six months, somebody could take their grade one and achieve that. And then you have grade eight, which is approaching professional level of musicality. You get it in ballet. You get it in lifeguards in the UK. I'm sure it's similar the world over. Basically, they're stepping stones. And when you start on the first stepping stone, you can't even see the other end of the river but you can see perhaps two or three steps ahead of you. And you can see perhaps people who are on those steps and they look pretty cool. They're doing their martial arts or their music or their ballet and things. And by the time you get to those, you can look behind you and go, gosh, look at what I've achieved. Or look at these people who are coming up. And yet you can see further to the other end of the bank. And so I've been working with a bunch of, well, kids and parents in London until COVID got in the way and some other folks around the world to try and do something similar, but for coding. So we, we, we call it code grades. U is a very important part of this because the first two or three grades, the answer to, well, what do I need to download to get started is mu. And so code grades are a series of steps that get you to cross that bridge from hello world to I want to deploy something on Amazon sort of level documentation. And so that's that's what I've been working on, really, as in my spare time with people getting feedback from folks. And the way it works is quite simple. You make up a goofy project. So you have your itch to scratch and you present your project according to whatever level grade you're taking. So grade one, we might want to see that you understand what a loop is, what conditionals are, how to assign values to a variable, get input and output from the user, simple sort of stuff. In fact, Sean, do you remember you sent me that project where there's this wonderful picture of you wearing what looks to be a shower 
kind of cap and <laughs> sort of strange glasses. And your student had a hypothesis that Sir would get angry if his temperature was rising. And she could use this circuit python thing that was sellotaped to the side of your head to measure the temperature and so on and so forth. And in that 10 lines of circuit python that she created and in the way that she described that project which we featured on our made with mew blog actually that is the perfect encapsulation of a grade one project it's somebody making something cool and having fun but of course and this speaks to what you were talking about kelly about pushing people you you get to grade two we expect a bit more and by the time you're at grade five six or seven the higher levels especially grade eight we, we are saying we want to see your github repository we want to see that you're triaging bugs properly we want to see the documentation your unit tests what's your continuous integration doing blah 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 all of this stuff but you get there by doing all the baby steps previously so it's a scaffolding really to help you get to where you want to be to do the stuff that you want because just like with music you might be happy playing just your three chords on the guitar because that's what you're into but you might want to end up being segovia or Brian May or someone like that, in which case you work like stinks. So maybe you want to be just somewhere halfway there. I don't know. You stop when you when you've achieved where you want to be, where your level. So that's kind of the other educational thing that I'm working on at the moment. And hopefully COVID kind of has got in the way really. It makes it hard to do anything when you're locked in a shed like I am. <laughs> this is a podcast, so you can't see, but Sean and Kelly are looking at me from my garden shed. <laughs> broadcasting live that's quality space in london though yeah, come yeah. on exactly. know that. <laughs> i'm just north of london but yes i'm close enough, I'm close enough. <laughs> i used to, i used to live in uxbridge oh, right. okay. so <laughs> okay okay i'm, I'm near milton Keynes, is near where i am bletchley park is just down the road by the way but yeah so that's what i've been doing and now that lockdown we're coming hopefully fingers crossed out of lockdown i can start to re-engage with folks who were preparing to take some grades Who is examining these grades? Well, these are actually friends of mine who are professional coders. So what do you get at the end of it? You present your project. It's supposed to be like a friendly code review. You do some pair programming with this professional coder as well. So they get a feel of where you're at. I've tried to write the assessment process, which is done through a a website, in such a way that it makes it easy for them to actually very quickly score what you're doing and write comments and things and at the end of it just like with the music grades you get some written feedback and you get a score and you get scores for different aspects of the coding that you've been doing as well so you can see perhaps where your weaknesses are and you get suggestions and things like that and of course you get a certificate as well now this is so important because in computing and i feel this especially as well because i'm a tuba player that's kind of what my undergraduate is and imposter syndrome is a thing And a lot of the time when I'm speaking at conferences or taking part in technical discussions, at the back of my own mind is, if only they knew what (laughs) what I was really trained to do. That's blow raspberries (laughs) down a big long tube, really. But, you know, at some point they're going to say something and I'm not going to know anything about what they're talking about. The thing about having a grade or having someone examine you is that now you've got somebody who is a professional coder has said, well, you have achieved the level required for grade five python and here's a here's some feedback about that and here's a certificate that proves it and because you are a professional bestowing that kind of thing on to a person they, they, they can't argue with that and i know this i just want to tell you a musical story here being a tuba player 
you don't get to play the tuba until you're kind of like 12, right? Because you start to grow at that age and then you're big enough to play the tuba. And that was what it was for me. I didn't start music lessons until I was about 12. And a couple of years in, my music teacher said to me, you should audition for the local youth orchestra. And I was horrified. I said, I can't do that. I'm not good enough for that. They're all big kids in that orchestra and I'm only a little squirt or what? All the kind of excuses that kids come up with. And Malcolm said, but Nicholas, you passed your grade five. And that's the minimum requirement for the orchestra. And they haven't got a tuba. I think you should audition. And I was like, oh, I don't want to audition. But you're grade five, Nicholas. You're good enough to do that. And I couldn't argue with him. And because he was, I imagine, a little bit like you two, pushing kids out of their comfort zone, he sort of said, well, here's the application form. You know, fill it in. I'll phone you, Dad, to make sure you've done it. And (laughs) he did. And I got in and I felt 10 feet tall then. And it was because of that intervention by that teacher that I became a professional musician because Malcolm pushed me and I got into this orchestra and that lifted me up. And that's because I couldn't argue with him. That's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> so that, and so I know we're coming kind of to the end of the, the time we set aside here. For people who want to learn more about code grades and about Mew, where can they find more information? How do they get involved? And, and what looks like help for you from the broader community? Yeah, okay. We love getting feedback and help is the important thing. So if you're asking yourself, oh, they probably don't want to hear from me, the answer is absolutely we do. There are several places you can go. If you want to just learn more about Mew and what's going on and how people use it, we have a blog called madewith.mew. The .mew top level domain on the internet, like .com or .org, is actually Mauritius. <laughs> so I've registered a website in Mauritius called madewith.mew. That's the name of the website. That's the blog. That's where we announce where we have made a new beta release or where somebody will write an article about how they're teaching with it. This is where we put your article, for instance. There is also the website, and you'll see there's a pattern here, and that's at codewith.mu, another Mauritius-based website. It's nice and sunny down there. <laughs> I, I should go and visit it someday. <laughs> so Code with Mu is where you go to download Mu, and we have tutorials there, how-to guides, and things like that. And if you're a developer... There are links to our developer documentation there as well. And we have a chat channel on a service called Gitter, which you can log into with your Twitter, GitHub, and maybe Google credentials. And that is a live chat. And we that there's a support channel in there and you can come ask us questions or give us feedback or things like that there. There is also the GitHub page. GitHub is where we host our source code and it's the central location where the software developers collaborate and if you have a github account you can create an issue for us so if you have a bright idea or you want to change something or you want to submit a new message of the day or something like that you do it through github code grades is it <laughs> oh, no, i forgot the name of the website it's either codegrades.org or codegrades.com i'll check that i think it's codegrades.com yeah codegrades.com i'll yeah, put that in okay. so that is currently in a holding pattern but right now, I'm spending my kind of lockdown enforced free time to actually create the next version of the website where you would be able to say, I want to take grade one Python. It arranges the time for you to meet with the developer online and so on. All, all the kind of process and gubbins and things that you need to get, to get that working. So the first version of that, the alpha version, will be coming out pretty soon. In fact, we need it for September because I've got some collaborators in Africa who actually want to use it. 
so it needs to be finished. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it, really. Those are the places where you can find out. Excellent. We'll put all those in the show notes as I was typing while you were talking. I'll I'll, I'll make sure I send through sort of URLs and things as well. Probably tomorrow now because it's getting right here in the UK, but yeah. Nice. Well, we'll wrap up then. And just want to thank you again, Nick, for hopping on the recording with us. It's really great to hear from you and, and great to see you been a couple of years since PyCon in person. So it's always wonderful to reconnect. And we're really thankful for all you've shared with us today about Mew and code grades and the pedagogy of teaching computer science, that art of doing it well. And we just, again, we would love to have you back on for a future episode to talk more about anything, pretty much anything you want. So for us on Teaching Python, you can send us an email through our website at teachingpython.fm. We're also at Teaching Python on Twitter. Kelly is continuing to produce new items, new things for our Teaching Python store. Lots of fun stuff. I think I have a t-shirt about being able to light up unicorns coming in a, in my daughter's size so that she can wear it but just a lot of fun stuff that continues to, to happen in now that i've had it exists i, will, I want one I, it's it, really it, cute yeah, it is really cute i i almost ordered in a size for myself too but that may be for my next purchase so you can find that on our website as well i will make kelly put the direct link to it in our show notes as well so anybody who wants a unicorn t-shirt for coding feel free to grab that and you can code that unicorn with Mew. So (laughs) for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly signing off.